It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's the curse of every former prime minister. Today's peacock becomes tomorrow's feather duster. But in the six months since Boris Johnson resigned... He's been both at once, sometimes in the course of the same day. Take last Tuesday, for example. In one part of London, Boris was back. Here he is, being mobbed by press, on his way to deliver a speech to his loyal supporters. And to unveil a portrait of himself. It's been quite a rapturous welcome for Boris Johnson by all accounts. We asked him, are we going to be seeing more of him from now on? They were just hanging a picture, that's all. I was, I was framed. But on the very same day, just around the corner in Westminster, Boris was being cast as the Invisible Man. Business Secretary Grant Shapps is facing backlash for posting an edited picture on Twitter, removing former Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Meanwhile, Boris Johnson looms large. Over both Rishi Sunak's Brexit negotiations, yep, they're still going, and his leadership. Right, let's have a little look at Boris Johnson, shall we? Front page of the Times, Johnson eyes safe seat. Allies of Boris Johnson claim he could agree to not challenge Rishi Sunak's leadership after the local elections in exchange for a safe Conservative seat. Certainly one that's safer than his current constituency, Uxbridge and South Ryslip. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, why Boris and Brexit aren't going away in 2023. I'm Tim Shipman, Chief Political Commentator of the Sunday Times. Tim, on Tuesday evening last week, Boris Johnson was guest of honour at a dinner in the Carlton Club in London. And that's, I think you've described it as a temple of Toryism. (laughs) It's been a while since the last big gathering there. Could you just paint a picture for us of the scene? Just describe, for people who've never been to the Carlton Club too, what that was like. Well, it's this huge pile, you'd have to call it, on St James's in Clubland, London's Clubland, sort of high Tory gathering place. 
There's lots of nefarious watering holes where conservatives gather, but this is the one where it's got a sort of semi, almost semi-constitutional role in the Conservative Party. All the greats were members. I think they give membership to every prime minister. And when prime ministers depart, they get a sort of farewell dinner and they get a portrait on the wall. And that's what Boris Johnson was there for last Tuesday to unveil his portrait. There were a lot of Team Boris people there, the hundred odd MPs who were still supporting him even in October. And one of them said to me that this was a sort of way of keeping the flame alive, reminding people Boris is still alive. And he gave a little speech and you know, a good time was had by all. What's the portrait like? It's quite flattering. He sort of looks young and dynamic and the blonde hair is full of life. There's not quite as much padding around the middle as Boris sometimes has. Let's put, put it this way. It's designed to make him look like the sort of resolute leader that he likes to think of himself. Churchill, his great hero, of course, famously had a couple of portraits that were so awful that his wife burnt one of them, um, even though it was worth millions of pounds. I don't think anybody in the Johnson family is going to be burning this portrait. It must have been slightly ironic, I suppose, for people turning up there because the Garden Club actually played a part in his downfall. Yes, that was where Chris Pincher, the Deputy Chief Whip, by his own admission, drank too much and embarrassed himself back in the middle of last year. He was accused of sexually assaulting a couple of men. He's obviously admitted behaving inappropriately, but he hasn't certainly hasn't admitted that. But the way Downing Street handled it, which was slow and perhaps misleading about what they'd known about previous incidents involving Chris Pincher, convinced a lot of MPs that this was the final straw. Boris Johnson wasn't going to change. His Downing Street was still unable to instinctively tell the truth at the beginning of a situation. And it's ultimately the thing that triggered his downfall. So... You've got these two Carlton Club events bookending the downfall of Boris Johnson and what some people are beginning to talk of is, is this the start of the comeback? Boris Johnson gets to make a speech and we haven't heard from him for a while. What does he use his speech to say? Those who were there tell me that it was pretty supportive of the government. I don't think he mentioned Rishi Sunak by name. So of all the things he was saying, he wasn't giving a warm endorsement to the Prime Minister. But there are extracts of it that some of us were sent by people close to Johnson, talking about the dawn of a bright new year, making confident predictions. You know, inflation will come down, China will get through COVID, Putin will lose in Ukraine, and the Conservative Party will recover, he says. And then he sort of makes the argument that when voters finally get to see the parties up close this year, there is only one party that yearns to reduce the burden of tax. Well, it hasn't got round to that yet. There is only one party that really believes in extending the joys of home ownership. And there's only one party with the guts to stand up to the union barons. And only one party, this is perhaps one of the more pointed aspects of it, one party, the Conservative Party, that believes in the union with Northern Ireland and will pass the necessary laws to protect the economic integrity of the UK. You know, and then he talks about really believing in Brexit it. And then there's a classic Johnsonian flourish. He can't resist the chance to have a pop at Sir Keir Starmer. He calls him Sakrasharuni Snoozefest. I think Johnsonian scholars, of which I would count myself one, would say that's not his finest work. And whether that will catch on in quite the way Captain Hindsight did, I rather doubt. But anyway, no mention of Sunak, rude about Starmer, but slightly pointed reference on Brexit and what he wants to see on that. And that's sort of interesting. What his people say is that Boris Johnson's keeping his head down at the moment, but there are three issues where you could expect him to put his head above the power if he didn't like what he saw. One of those is Ukraine and supporting the Zelensky regime there. One of those is levelling up, where I think there's already concern in the sort of Johnson world and amongst Liz Truss's fans that Sunak's not really pushing that as hard as they did. And the third one is Brexit, where, you know, he really does regard himself as the guardian of Brexit. 
and he wants two things. He wants to see, you know, there are efforts going to be made in the next two, three, four weeks to try and get a deal on the Northern Ireland Protocol. I think Johnson's signalling he will police that, the same as the European Research Group, the ERG, those hardline Brexiteers. They'll be keeping an eye on what concessions Sunak makes to get a deal over the line there. And the reference there in what Johnson said to legislation refers to this bill that's going through at the moment to tear up all the European laws that still remain in British law. And the idea is that you get rid of some of them and then you port the rest that you really do need into English law. Now, the civil servants are going around saying, this is terribly difficult. We need a lot more staff if we're going to achieve this. Jacob Rees-Mogg was out a week or so ago saying, you know, this is a sort of excuse and we can't backpedal on this. And when I wrote a piece about Boris Johnson a week or so ago, his team were very keen to say that, you know, he regards passing this stuff as extremely important. So that signalled quite clearly in that Carlton Club speech that that's what he cares about there. So Rishi Sunak's on notice. If you put a foot out of line on these three issues, I'm still here. (laughs) That's so interesting. So this speech is, you know, a bit of trademark Boris boosterism. But there is also codified red lines that Rishi Sunak can't cross or Boris will be back. There's a threat looming. It's interesting because that evening, the people who have assembled, the Boris faithful, they're all there for the unveiling of a portrait of Boris to go down in conservative history in the Carlton Club. And yet earlier that day, there was a bit of a crisis in Whitehall where a minister actually photoshopped Boris Johnson out of a picture. Yes. Mr Shams posted the picture celebrating the launch of a satellite from British soil for the first time. It was quickly pointed out, though, that it was photoshopped, marked by the strangely blurred space in the middle. It was Grant Shapps, the business secretary, who posted a picture on Twitter of him doing some high-tech aviation space-type thing. He appeared to be wearing some kind of flight jacket himself, which itself looked rather strange. And he was talking to one of these sort of uh, high-tech science types. And there's a, a Wizzo plane in the background, and then a gaping hole in the middle of the picture, until someone dug out the original picture, which had Boris Johnson slap-bang in the middle of the photograph. It's like one of those Soviet-era pictures on the balcony where Stalin appeared with various people, and then three months later they were purged, and they were literally excised from the photographs. And this is particularly strange, because Shapps is a Boris Johnson supporter. So for Shapps to be doing this is most peculiar. And some people think he probably did do it himself. I mean, is this symbolic, though, of where the Tory party is at the moment? Some want him erased and some want him worshipped. Yes, I think that's true. And that's what Boris Johnson has always brought to British politics. He's a divisive character. He understands that. I'm not sure he's always comfortable with it. Certainly when he was London Bear, he wanted to be loved by everybody. But Brexit made him realise that that wasn't going to be the case. And Boris had been used to walking around London being shouted at, all right, Boris, you know, you're doing all that kind of thing. And then suddenly he had protesters on his doorstep telling him he was a disgrace to humanity. And I think that came as a bit of a rude shock. For him to see former loyalists like Grant Shapps turning against him must still be quite alarming. Yeah, I would imagine, you know, he, he, Boris is not someone who gives a lot away. He doesn't have a lot of close friends. Even people who work for him for a long time tell you that peeling back the layers of the onion is quite difficult. But yes, I think he does get hurt by these things. I think he is often surprised that people dislike him when they do. That was part of his problem in the last six months of his premiership. He fundamentally didn't think he'd done anything terribly wrong. And he thought other people had done similar things. And he didn't really understand why people 
didn't think it was all going swimmingly because Boris often thinks things are going swimmingly. A big, jolly fat man could soon return down your chimney and get into your stockings. Yeah. Not Santa, <laughs> Boris is back. He could be coming back by next Christmas, according to Nadine Doris. His critics in the party will realise they are nothing without him. It is not a secret that um, that we that things that things happen that shouldn't have happened, and that um, Boris Johnson was removed via a coup. When Boris is forced to resign, 14,000 members of the public wrote directly to central office saying, what are you doing? We like this guy. Is he competent? It's not what we're saying. He does have a diehard group of loyal supporters within the party. Tell us a bit about them. Tell us about the Conservative Democratic Organisation for a start that's being set up. And is this a part of Johnson World? It's certainly part of Johnson World. The people who are doing it say it is not a front for a Boris Johnson leadership campaign, though the people running it were heavily involved in trying to get Boris Johnson on the leadership ballot, even after he'd been kicked out by his ministers, essentially, and are now trying to change the rules of the Conservative Party to give more power to the grassroots, who did not get a say in Boris Johnson's removal and did not get a say in Rishi Sunak's appointment. They picked Liz Truss in the meantime and saw her implode and the bloke who'd lost get installed. And a lot of grassroots members are not happy about that. And a lot of them, including Lord Crudus, the guy who is leading this, a former treasurer of the Conservative Party, have had long-standing objection to all of this. I mean, just talk us through sort of their main aims. What has this body been set well, up Well, the, the aim is to give more power to the grassroots. So they would have more say in leadership elections. Lord Crudus, Priti Patel, David Campbell Bannerman, the people who are involved in this, all think that, frankly, there are too many Tory MPs who aren't really Conservatives. And they would say that's been going on for 10 years. But... Some of them, quietly, in the dark recesses of off-the-record conversations, will tell you, well, we could change the rules of the party. We only need 10,000 members to sign up and we can force something called a national convention, which is essentially the sort of the AGM of the grassroots. They could change these leadership rules, but there's also talk of, well, hang on a minute, we haven't had a vote on Rishi Sunak yet, so why don't we have a sort of indicative vote of confidence, no confidence in the Prime Minister as leader of the Conservative Party and say whether wow. or not whether or not we'd actually endorse this fellow. And certainly some of them think that that would go very badly for Rishi Sunak. I'm not so sure about that personally, but clearly there are some people and they are coincidentally supporters of Boris Johnson and people who've previously given him money in some cases that think that Sunak would lose that and at which point that could very well be a kind of moment where the MPs would move against him and the king of the world over the water would be suddenly asked to get off his plough and return to the front line. I mean, as an outsider, it's astonishing that after the year of turbulence and a you know, series of regicides that the Tory party's had, they'd even be contemplating another right now. As an insider, it is also completely <laughs> perplexing, but this is where the Conservative Party have got themselves to now. They have a taste for blood, and the problem any leader of the Conservative Party is going to have at the moment is that there are different factions, probably four or five major factions in the Conservative Party, and getting more than two or three of them to support a leader at any one time is rather problematic. So, you know, one of Johnson's people described the Parliamentary Conservative Party to me as a broken plate the other day. You know, Sunak is busy binding twine around it. There are some Johnson people who think he could turn up with a superglue, but that doesn't change the fact that the plate is broken. Is there a sense that this Conservative Democratic organisation, if it does 
do what it says it might, which is get 10,000 grassroots people to sign up. I mean, does this sort of become like a Tory momentum? Does it change the rules from under Rishi Sunak? So even if it doesn't replace him, his hands are tied in terms of who stands at the next election. I think that's the far more likely outcome of, of this enterprise. They want to have more say over policy. They want their conference to look a bit more like Labour's rather than just turning up and clapping a bunch of cabinet ministers like applauding seals. They want to be able to say, well, we don't like this policy. We want you to do this, this, this and this instead. That's what they want. And I think this vote of confidence is probably an unlikely course of action. But it, I think it's entirely possible that they start agitating for for a greater say over selections and a greater say over policy. Sunak doesn't really have a lot of power. Hardly any MPs think that they owe their jobs to him. And if people think they're going to lose their seats, combined with the fractious grassroots, this could be a very bumpy year or two, even if he does manage to cling on and Boris mm. remains in the wings. So we, we do think that although there is this hardcore of people who do want Boris back, it's less likely to happen. I mean, just as a matter of probability. Yeah, there are the, I mean, there are a lot of reasons why it won't happen. There is a general view in the party that there's been enough psychodrama and that the public needs to see some delivery. The other reason is that there's still quite a lot of people who don't much like Boris Johnson in the Conservative Party. And, you know, Boris Johnson did have the numbers to get on the ballot paper back in October and he decided not to do it. And, you know, you have to ask yourself why, which is A, he didn't he thought it was going to cause absolute carnage and B, he wasn't sure he was going to win. And, you know, I spoke to someone a week or so ago who said, you know, he'll keep his head down, he'll wait for a moment. But frankly, if he's not reasonably certain that he's going to win, he'll probably bottle it again. He doesn't, you know, mm. this is not someone who wants to lose twice. It's not how you want to be remembered. No. And in terms of what he's been up to since he left Downing Street, do we know what he's been doing? Is, is he more likely to enjoy life outside of Downing Street than he is in? Well, I think there was always a thing with Johnson that someone very wise once said he always wanted to become prime minister and he always wanted to have been prime minister. It was the bit in the middle that was the problem. But no, life is good. I mean, this is a guy who needed to, quotes put hay in the barn for his large extended family, shall we say, and to make up for having to scrape by on, you know, 150 grand a year, poor, poor lamb, for the last three years. He has earned, I mean, for certain, a million pounds from four speeches already, Um that's just what's in the register of members' interests so far. There's certainly more of those coming. And he's got two houses subsidised for him by Lord Bamford, one which costs £10,000 a month and one which costs about £3,500 a month, one in London, one not in London. That's not bad. And he's doing a lot of travel. If you look at his register of interests, there's lots of trips to the VIP suite at Heathrow. You know, his team, you know, I should stress, are very keen to point out that he's been in the House of Commons every week since he went. And actually... Somewhat surprisingly, he seems to be spending quite a lot of time in his Uxbridge constituency and has genuinely been pounding the streets and meeting people there. And, you know, he's defending a majority of only 7,000, so he's got to sort of half an eye on that if he wants to stick around. But, he, you know, I think he spent rather more time there than people were expecting him to have done. But, you know, this is, as ex-Prime Minister's lives go, this is one of the more felicitous, I think it's fair to say. Coming up. Boris Johnson might not be back in number 10 anytime soon, but he could still make or break Rishi Sunak's crucial Brexit talks. Another issue that hasn't gone away. That's in just a moment. I'm Lara Spirit. I'm the Red Box reporter at The Times. I work on putting together our morning email that lands in subscribers' inboxes at 8.30 that has all the most important political stories of the day. I find it amazing still that every morning I walk into the Palace of Westminster and it's my office. 
I can only do this work thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm David Baddiel. I'm a writer and a comedian and a Jew. I'm Saeeda Varsi. I'm a businesswoman and a politician and a Muslim. Jews and Muslims always seem to be in the news or on the news. Lots of people talk about us and this is us talking about ourselves. The kind of things that people say don't touch, yeah. we are going to go there. I mean, I think Jews and Muslims are talking about these things, but I think they're not talking about them together because they're worried that if they do, sparks might fly. A Muslim and a Jew go there. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Tim, if, as you said, Rishi Sunak is on notice, there are these red lines that Boris Johnson is already setting out for for things that he doesn't want to see policy change on, effectively. One of those is Brexit, and it just so happens that people in government are preparing for a, a big week of Brexit talks. The Taunish to Michal Martin has said there is growing trust between EU and UK negotiators, but he cautioned there was a long way to go before agreement on the Northern Ireland Protocol might be reached. The climate around this whole process now, compared to what it was like last year, is entirely different. You've just been to Brussels. Just fill us in on what's going on. Well, look, the Northern Ireland Protocol is in place. It's causing problems. I think both sides now agree that it's not helping the Good Friday Agreement because the unionist community is up in arms that it's difficult for them to get goods from mainland Great Britain into Northern Ireland. And, you know, for a long time, there have been efforts to try and resolve this. Those efforts are now coming to a head. Britain wants to see the EU take a rather less theological view about the number of checks that they perform on those goods and make it easier for medicines and cold meats and things like that to make their way into Northern Ireland. The EU has now finally agreed to take on board a sort of real-time data system that the UK government has been running for quite some time, which shows what's going in, where it's going... And as far as the Brits are concerned, proves that stuff going into Northern Ireland is not a threat to the single market because it's not leaching south into the Republic. The EU's been resisting that for a long time. So that's a a big first step along the road to doing some kind of deal. Hmm. The EU, on the other hand, would like to see the British government take a rather less theological view about some of the wording and the involvement of the European Court of Justice. Now, there's probably some sort of fudge to be done that perhaps moves ECJ oversight of any of this stuff 
further back from it being any practical reality, but keeps it in the kind of theoretical reality, which might satisfy the EU. The big problem is you've got to satisfy the ERG as well. And Sunak has cleverly brought back a chap called Oliver Lewis, known as Sonic, who was the head of research for Vote Leave. He was brought back before Christmas to butter up the ERG, make them feel like they're being listened to. Ultimately, he'll be the guy who's asked to try and persuade them that whatever deal is done is acceptable. These are difficult and fractious times. But both sides seem to want to do a deal by the middle of February. The prize is the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement is coming up in April and Joe Biden wants to come over, but the Americans want it all resolved long before. You know They don't want to be coming over with two days to go not knowing if this deal's been done. And the Americans are now putting a lot of pressure on both sides, saying, look, We've got problems with Ukraine, we've got problems with China, we've got problems with Russia. Um, the West needs to be united. We can't have you lot prattling about, still arguing about this. So get on with it. I haven't got a clue if they're going to be able to do it. All I can tell you at this stage is from the conversations I've had with people in Downing Street and people in Brussels, there is an appetite to try. And is that progress in its own right? I mean, you've been tracking Brexit for years now. Um, Look at my grey hairs. (laughs) But is there a sense, is this the closest we've been to some kind of a deal? It is the most positive general attitude that we've seen for a very long time. And I think Johnson and Truss's departure makes it easier. They feel they can do business with Sunak. Sunak is a proper Brexiteer, you know, back Brexit long before Johnson. And he knows that his position would come into peril if he makes too many concessions. But, you know, his approach is conciliatory, engaging. And with the EU, a lot of it is about the tone you strike and the the way you go about things. Both sides are, are going to be intensifying their talks on the basis of this new trust. James Cleverly, the British Foreign Secretary, is talking about joint solutions rather than keeping open this threat of unilateral action by the UK government. This appears to be one of those moments when both sides can agree that they ought to do something. Both sides can agree on the rough timetable for doing it. Despite my covering you know, the biggest rolling mess in the history of British politics, I still manage always to be slightly optimistic. And, you know, as you say, Rishi Sunak is a, a true Brexiteer. He supported it right from the start. But the party hasn't always seen him as a Brexiteer. Is there a chance, you know, no deal will happen without concessions? Is there a chance that if there is a deal with some concessions, some of that sort of, you know, the Boris faithful effectively will will turn, will they might react do. badly? Yeah. This is what Brexit's always been. It's been an exercise in highly technical, clever, legalistic negotiating. It's been an exercise in handholding and political persuasion, both of MPs and of the public. If Sunak's clever, and we are told that he's kept Boris Johnson kind of in the loop, he's been talking to him, they've had several phone conversations, friendly we are told. If Rishi Sunak can persuade Boris Johnson to back this deal, now that would be a a big moment for the Conservative Party in terms of moving on from this, but also would show that Sunak's matured as a politician and that Johnson is acknowledging some political realities and is, you know, going to work with him rather than against him. And that that would be a dream scenario for the Tory party is if they could get both of them on the same page and Boris Johnson campaigning in the red wall seats next time. And, you know, in that scenario, you can half imagine a world in which the Tories think they've got a sniff of the next election. 
there are many more things that could go wrong than right. But what happens over the next three or four weeks will tell us a heck of a lot about what happens over the next year and potentially what might happen at the general election. And, you know, it might be boring for readers that, oh, my God, it's Brexit all over again. And it's Boris all over again. Yeah, but once more, it becomes this kind of test of politicians. And if Sunak can come through that, it will give him a major leg up. And if he doesn't, you and I will be doing another podcast about Boris Johnson before the summer. Um, is there a chance that if, as you say, Boris Johnson won't necessarily replace Rishi Sunak, but could sort of make or break, could certainly make life much harder or much easier for him over the next year. Is there a chance that some of this, you know, the campaign to, to bring him back, the, the people sort of talking up his chances, is it to get him a role of some sort, even if it isn't a, a full return to Downing Street? You know, is he looking for an envoy to Ukraine kind of gig? I don't think he is particularly at this point. I think he wants to write his Shakespeare book and his memoir and he wants to make loads of money. There's talk of him returning to do some journalism. I think you can expect to see that when he signs a megabucks deal for his memoir that that might come with some TV or newspaper columns attached to it. Uh, I'm not, I don't think there'll be any announcement on that until much later this year, but you know, it would be strange if Boris Johnson were not sharing his views with the nation. But certainly there is talk that, you know, He's got an extremely good relationship with Vladimir Zelensky and it might at some point be useful to the British and or American governments to make use of that. My impression is that the West wants the Ukrainians to win, but win quick so it's they're not having to spend a huge amount more on military aid. That means getting the Russians out of the stuff they invaded in 2022. But there's a lot of anxiety about whether Zelensky tries to retake Crimea. And someone said to me 10 days ago, well... If someone needed to have a difficult conversation with Zelensky, it would have to be someone he trusted. And you can imagine a world in which Boris is called on in those situations. Do I think he's going to be the next head of NATO or Paris the Thought, General Secretary of the United Nations or something like that? No, I don't. And I don't think that's the kind of life that Boris Johnson wants. But does he want to always be relevant? Does he always want to be always sort of there? Yes. And in terms of his relevance, I mean, does he have problems of his own to, to sort out before long? We do still have the, the Privileges Committee working out when, when they're going to decide on whether or not he lied to Parliament. Yeah, there's, there are two sort of looming issues for Boris. One is what his aides call the kangaroo court of the Privileges Committee, which is sort of slightly pointless again to talk about whether he lied to Parliament. It depends whether you think he believed what he was saying or not. Whether MPs can get inside his head and rule on that, I don't know. Did he mislead Parliament? Everyone agrees he did. Did he lie to them? That really requires us to understand the pathology of Boris Johnson. But they'll take a view and they might ban him from Parliament. If they do, that pretty much ends his career as an MP. The other problem he's got is that the COVID inquiry will start at some point later in the year. There's preliminary hearings before the summer, but the stuff that relates to, to Johnson won't be until, you know, it might be right at the end of this year, might be early next year. And again, I think people understand the broad thrust of what happened during the pandemic. They know the mistakes that broadly were made and the damaging stuff for Johnson potentially are further revelations about sort of things he said and did in private. And a lot of his quotes, things like, you know, let the bodies pile high that have been reported already. He's a, someone who is never dull in private. The Partygate scandal and a fresh claim that Boris Johnson joked about being at the country's most unsocially distanced party during an illegal lockdown gathering. Claims of sexual contact between attendees at the Downing Street parties during lockdown. If there are more things like that, that will also be problematic for him. 
Yesterday, the Sunday Times reported that Boris Johnson might face even more unwelcome questions. The Sunday Times has revealed details of how Boris Johnson may have funded his life in Downing Street. Boris Johnson mentioned on the front of the Sunday Times with a mysterious £800,000 lending facility that apparently was at Boris Johnson's beck and call when he was in number 10. A credit facility of £800,000 through a multi-millionaire Canadian businessman who's also a distant cousin of his. It also gave him free use of a villa in the Dominican Republic. Mr Johnson says all arrangements were properly declared. It was declared to staff inside government but not made public. Does that sit right with you? Well, look, there are lots of reasons why um, Boris Johnson isn't the Prime Minister anymore. So on balance, it's all pretty unlikely, but it continues to be something that Sunak has to be spending a small part of his brain power thinking about. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Chief Political Commentator for The Sunday Times, Tim Shipman. You can find all of Tim's work at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription or in print on Sundays. The producer today was James Shield. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by Tom Birchall. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review. It'll help others to find it. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.